Hi, this is Jonathan Tiersten from The Perfect House and Sleepaway Camp, and you are listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast at Denver Comic Con 2014 and beyond. I am Ryan, and with me is James and nobody else. Nope. Except for Reggie and my wife. Yeah. But they don't like to be on the podcast. She'll probably, she'll probably bounce halfway through the show. That's yeah, she'll be like, you is. guys are full of nonsense and. Just like most of the hoo-ha. listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, got a. Oh. Got a, a, a oh, tablet, huh? I did, yeah, I bought one. I've been looking at tablets for a while. Um, and then I couldn't sleep on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. I was just laying in bed and I was like w- looking at reviews on my phone mm-hmm. and went on to test it and watch one of their video reviews and I just ordered one. Which one you get? It's a Nexus 7. So it's a, you know, it's an Android one. Um, but I, it's not because I have a Galaxy, uh, I have a Galaxy phone mm-hmm. and I didn't get the Galaxy tablet because I wanted it. I felt like if it were the same thing, I would, you would just feel like the phone <laughs> again. Like it's a new toy. I wanted to yeah. feel different. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's badass. I took it to work and I like I could take notes on it and shit and um and it's you know, I was also worried that it's a seven inch and so it would be too small. Mm-hmm. Um but I actually uh, I like it. I think it's Yeah, cool. I have a Kindle Fire, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's the same it's the same form factor as the fire, you know, which is plenty big enough. Um but yeah, it's neat. I got Captain America on the back. It's neat. Yeah. Um so I'm gonna use it and look at news while we do the show. Whatever the show is we do. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to... I'm going to... Uh, yeah, quit playing with that thing. Sorry. Yeah, Pay attention yeah, no. to what you need to be doing. No, no. I'm trying to... I'm just... Yeah. What do we do here? Uh, every week we go see a new movie and we broadcast our experience of the world. This week we went and saw I, Frankenstein starring Aaron Eckhart. We did. What's... Why is your wife distracting you? Uh, we're trying to do... A, we're trying... We're on the internet right I now. I can't... She's sending me something about I, Frankenstein. Someone tweeted. That it was the worst... They were the best movie of all time. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I um. Let me see if I can repeat that. I Frankenstein is the best movie ever written by a Sega Genesis and an Evanescence album. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah, I, nice. That's not a bad. We'll save a review to the end. Absolutely. Um. Just a couple things to announce. Um. This should be up before then. Um. January twenty eighth. We'll be at the Oriental Theater in beautiful Denver, Colorado. We'll be hosting Open Screen Night, and we have a special guest. Jonathan Tiersten will be there, and we'll be debuting our fifth episode of our pod show. The penultimate episode. The penultimate of season one of the pod show, starring me and guest starring Jonathan Tiersten. Yeah. From Sleepaway Camp fame. He's awesome. Dude, did you see that Blu-ray release of Sleepaway Camp? That thing looks badass. I know. I can't wait to get it. Man. Even I kind of want it, and I don't like horror movies. Uh, but yeah, that thing is cool. You should get it. I should. I probably will. Good for you. Um, also, anime wasabi, anime land wasabi. I always mess mess that mess that up. You're anime really, you're the worst. Land wasabi is going to be February twenty eighth through March second. We will be there at least one day. Yeah. Um, we are finalizing details on that. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the band called Nylon Pink. They are a Hollywood-based band, and they are making their first appearance in Denver on March 1st at Anime Land Wasabi. Cool. Um, 
They said they have, they're quickly building an audience via their YouTube cha- page with over a million channel views. Their cover song of Blue by Big Bang can be seen, has been seen by over 300,000 views. Is that, uh, is that the, like, the blue? The blue abadi babada abadai. I one? have no idea what that is. I, I'm not. I'm not cool enough. I know. I'm not either. I um, listen to. I listen to banjo music. But I'm just reading the stuff sent to us by uh, their manager, and they play all their own instruments, dude. Like and a real band. Yeah, they're the first Asian all-girl rock band in the United States. No way. Yeah. So it might be fun. Um, hopefully, we can get them on the show while we're there. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. So it, you can get tickets for Anime Land Wasabi. On the website, AnimeLandWasabi.com. It is February 28th through March 2nd. I always forget March only has 28 days in it. <laughs> through March oh, yeah. 2nd at uh, the Crown Plaza and by DIA. Um, you should definitely get tickets. There's lots of cool people coming there. I'm going to get my Spartacus DVD signed yeah. by Liam McIntyre. That will be badass. Yeah. What else, where else are we going to be? I think that's it for right now. Yeah. I mean... Denver Comic Con's coming up. Denver Comic Con is coming up. We're gonna be there really fast. We need, we need to start talking about us being there. <laughs> yeah, oh, we'll have to double check and um, send things some things out. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was reading too. Um, we did get uh, our press credentials were accepted for San Diego Comic Con. No shit, really? Yeah. Uh, it's I don't, it's not saying we're gonna get them, but they did yeah. accept them. So you never know. Cool. All right, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. You never know. If you live in San Diego, start petitioning your, your local government to mm-hmm. allow the real nerds to get t- free tickets to DCC, uh, SDCC. Um, I like to start every show, and we actually have a lot this week, James. Yeah, it is. A lot of fan mail. It's a good thing that I haven't watched any movie. That's not even true. <laughs> I have. I, I've watched enough for us. <laughs> yeah. Fan mail! Um, cool. So I'll start with, um, Cora sent us some correspondence. Yay! Um, if you don't know, if you participated in our year-end extravaganza called Film Explosion, and we read your email on the air, then you'll know that we sent out gifts to people. Now, they've been really popular from Pearl Harbor to, um, to The Phantom Menace. Uh, Deep Blue Sea. And Bri- Deep Bri- Blue got sea. a Bri- Bri got a VHS copy of Deep Blue Sea, which he he texted me. He actually has a VCR, like one of those TVs with a VCR in it. Really, he'd never seen Deep Blue Sea. Really, so he watched the VHS version of Deep Blue Sea that Very I sent. Very cool. Out. I was the coolest thing. I was like, because I thought it was just s- stupid. Like mm-hmm. I only sent those out because I think they're funny. Um, and I thought he would get a kick out of that one. And because he'd never seen it, I was like, no way. He says, that thank was really you special. so much. Yeah. Um, so she says, so how did you know I love Sandra Bullock and Ben Affleck so much? <laughs> Obviously, you center forces of nature. I did. Plus, VHS is a loss of movie consumption form, especially when you would record a movie on HBO, when it didn't cost an arm and a leg. Yeah. And the end of the tape would be porn because you couldn't set the VCR timer right. <laughs> Best thing ever! <laughs> you guys are great. Oh, Michael and I finally went saw Frozen. Awesome. Oh, cool. It really was a great Disney movie. It really drives home the importance of family. Ryan, yay, by the way. Oh, yeah, my wife's pregnant. Oh, yeah. Um, And how silly it really is to marry someone you just met. Great twist. It is a great twist in that movie. Yeah. One of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. Um, The next movies we'll see in theater are The Lego Movie and The Monuments Men. So we'll catch up then. Trying to figure out when we come visit. Have a great show, Cora. Those are good choices. Yeah, hopefully you can come up soon, Cora. There's always a spot here on The Real Nerds Podcast. On on this 
for you. But you might have to share it with Reggie. Yeah. You widgie. If you're if you're listening to Real Nerds podcast, like, oh man, that sweet, sweet theme music was written especially for us by our good friend Charlie, and he wrote um in and it's entitled Oscars. Hey nerds, listening to the latest episode, and I particularly enjoy the Oscars discussion. I totally agreed with everyone's points, pretentious movies, the Fox Searchlight criticism, etc. When it comes to pretentious movies, I was immediately reminded of this. Everything looks official with tiny leaves around it. <laughs> it's a little uh, yeah. picture he sent us. P.S. I, I got to check out The Howling. I've heard it, heard of it, and I love tongue-in-cheek stuff, Charlie. Uh, yeah, if you like uh, goofy werewolf movies, Charlie, uh, The Howling is the one for you. You know what's funny about the Oscar thing is, I think after we had that discussion, I was talking to Brad about it, um, and he pointed out that almost all the movies nominated released within like a month and a half span yep. last year. Yep. Like it is such a tiny little section of the whole year. Oh, it makes you wonder just, if they released a Dark Knight in November would get an Oscar dude, best picture. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how much of it is actually, is that timing really impacting it or is it just that everybody releases all their Oscar bait shit at the same time? I don't know. I yeah. think it's a little bit of both probably. Yeah, me too. But just weird. You know what I love, James? Um, candy. Yes, I do love candy. But and I also Spider-Man. like. I do like Spider Man. Um, I do like your when, dog. Uh, yes. Do you want me to let you go? I can keep on going. See All what right. else I like. Hats. Yep. Yeah. Your wife. I love my wife. All right. I, I guess I kind of got that one wrong. I was... <laughs> uh, when we get emails from new people. Oh yeah. Randy sent us an email and it's it's uh, entitled uh fan mail <laughs> um hey guys i've recently gotten into listening to podcasts which has become my latest addiction naturally uh podcasts can get addicting um for sure oh yeah i've been uh there was a section when i was living alone like my sophomore year of uh college i was doing like six to ten hours of podcasts a day it was it was gross yeah well you know yeah it's all right yeah you have so much to choose from uh, I procrastinated for a while. If I decided to put that business card I've carried in my wallet for months now to use. Thank you, Mr. James. Thank you. You're welcome. I just wanted to tell everyone how much I enjoy the show. Oh, that's nice. Thank After you. I listened to your latest podcast, episode 134, at the time, I checked out a handful of other podcasts at random, just looking for other comic-related ones that are there. This is, in my opinion, a horrible waste of time. <laughs> Everything seems to be weighed down with mainstream titles that I don't even read. Though you guys don't usually mention more than than one, maybe two comics on a show, it's still nice to hear about titles like Saga instead of any one, any of the who, any of the who knows how many Spider-Man titles. Sorry, Ryan, that I care nothing about. Even better, <laughs> you guys have different opinions, though I may not agree with them. You aren't three guys in a room agreeing with everything. You guys are real, uh, real, R E E L, and that's what I enjoy the I enjoy most. Most I'd say. Um, at this point, I have a few questions, and being f- a fairly decent comic collector, 10,000 plus, yeah, they may lean in that direction. That's crazy. How big is everyone's movie collection? I imagine it must be just crazy. Big because you guys seem to buy movies all the time. Um, you know what I've never done? I think I might do it um, because uh, Randy asked it. I think I'm going to take a picture of my movie collection, and I'll tweet it. Yeah. Um, yours, is, yours is really impressive. Uh, mine is because when I was um, single and lonely and wasn't married... I would go to Best Buy and just buy movies randomly. So that's why you own things like the Tuxedo on DVD. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. And things like, um, let's see what else I got up there that no one else probably owns. Run, Ronnie, run. No, that one's good. I don't even know what that one is. It has David Cross. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, Young Guns. 
I would, you know, hey, it's they like, were shot down in a blaze of glory, I'm sir. Just, I'm just saying I wouldn't be one. To, I'm just looking at stuff. <laughs> it's not one I would expect myself to own. Uh, Predator 2. Uh, he fights Danny Glover. That's a bad movie. Badass. It's a bad movie. Can you pick out the ones that are my wife's? SLC Punk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can name them with my eyes closed. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a good collection, though. Oh, well, thanks. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Is that one yours? Yes. It's my favorite Matthew <laughs> McConaughey movie. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, James, do you actually live with your parents? Wait, wait, wait. I didn't answer the... Uh, before we get to that question, <laughs> um, my, mine is nowhere near as big as yours is uh, partially... Well, that's... Whoa. Huh. Um, the, uh, partially because Thanks, I've been... James. Uh, you, you've kept a whole lot of your DVDs and I've been eating away my DVDs. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm like an elitist or something or a shitty person, but I've found that when I, when I go to watch a movie, I only ever look at my Blu-ray section. Yeah. So I'm sort of very, I, I just keep, basically, I only have enough, like, I have three shelves for my Blu-rays on this old shelf that I have, um... So whenever I buy more Blu-rays, I just take DVDs off the shelf and put them in a bag and eventually take them to Tradesmart. Um, you know what's funny is I mentioned to Laura that I might slowly start getting rid of all my DVDs. Mm-hmm. Not because, I mean, I'll keep all my TV shows and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I keep um, all my TVs. But, but the other stuff, um, I'll just start getting replacing it on Blu-ray. Yeah, it's because um, especially the things that like... Uh, first I started off with like getting rid of the things I didn't ever want to, mm-hmm. I didn't even really want to own like my DVD copy of vanilla sky. <laughs> I saw I don't, it. I don't even want to explain that one. Um, but then I started getting rid of things that like, I, if I wanted to watch it again, I wanted to force myself to buy the Blu-ray. So mm-hmm. like I got rid of my copies of Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz and some of that stuff. Um, because I specifically <laughs> wanted to make myself buy the Blu-rays. <laughs> um, but yeah, my collection's not huge yet. But it's it it's be. getting there. Oh yeah, yeah. It will yeah. Be. Now that I have a steady job, I buy more, way more stuff than I should. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit, James. I'm gonna read his thing out of order because I have a surprise for Randy. Oh, do you want me to answer the question about do I really live at home? Because nah. yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. He says it's rhetorical, so you didn't okay. have to answer. Yeah, it. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, which do you guys prefer, trade paperbacks or single issues, and why? Um, that's a tough question. Um, if it's a Depends on where I am in the book. Me too. I if, you know, it, if it's something new, like like uh, when I started reading through uh, the Sandman, mm-hmm. which I, I haven't really, but I I I got the first trade of the Sandman because I want to read through it. I got the trades. Um, with The Walking Dead, I started off in trades, and then once I caught up in trades, I started picking up the issues. Really, I don't like the Walking Dead single issues. I think they're a waste of money. Yeah, uh, I understand where you're coming from, but I was using it as an example. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I get onto a book. Um, Let's say I hadn't started reading Chew when Chew started, then I would have read the first trade and then started reading the yeah. issues. Um, but I pretty much, if it's a book I really like, I pick up the the issues. See, I I do single issues unless it's a, something I'm going to take a chance on, um, and then I'll get the trade paperback. Because um, that way, it's a collection I can get a better understanding of the story. Oh, because you're saying like you would want because the the trade is sort of cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting more bang for your buck. Exactly, uh, where I, I spend saying, yeah. $15 instead of uh, 20-something. But in general, you'd rather have issues of everything. Yeah, because yeah. well, because even though Randy said, you know, Spider-Man, it's I really only collect Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, right. I get other things, but I mean... Right, no, yeah. I, I'm more like, I, uh, I'll read something through in trades and then want to go back and fill it in as 
uh, an issue. So like uh, Astonishing X-Men, Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, I read it in trades mm-hmm. and then went back and went and started finding yeah. all the issues. Um, which is the worst way to do it because now I end up, then I end up buying it all like twice and you know, but. It's all right. It's so fun. I I have Astonishing X-Men and things like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I take chances on X-Men. I do, I got the new X-Men series um, because it's an all-women X-Men team and I thought that was a unique take. I keep meaning to pick and that up. And it's a pretty fun little book. Um, We'll see how how much longer I keep yeah. it. I mean, I'm still en- enjoying it right now. So, mm. um, uh, American Vampire. When I first started reading American Vampire, yeah. I bought the first trade, and I think by the time I was halfway through it, I just added American Vampire to my pull slot because um, I knew, like, okay, eventually I'm going to catch up, and I'm going to want those issues to be there. So, just sort of depends on the book. Yeah. Um, have you guys ever done a top ten favorite comics? Well, get ready, Randy. Very special for all our Real Nerds listeners. Me and James have put together our top ten comics for this week's Comic Book Corner. What's up, nerds? It's the Comics Corner. Uh, how did you want to do this, James? you want to take turns? or Yeah, I think we should take turns. Okay. Obviously, there's not going to be trailers. Um, nope. I'll say up front, I definitely cheated once. Oh, this I is, cheated a couple this times. This is really kind of 11. <laughs> Um, um, how I cheated is I did some single issues and I did some story arcs. Yeah. Um, because um, sometimes... Oh, because you were really doing... See, I'm only doing books. Mm. So I'm doing like full series. Okay. Um, but then some of them I'm going to highlight issues that are specifically good. Cool. Because, um, yeah, and I meant to... Your your phone wasn't getting text messages the last couple of days. I know, weird. And huh? so I think on Wednesday I texted you to say like, hey, are you doing books or are you doing series or are you doing issues? Because uh, issues would have been really hard for me, just because of the way I read comics. Because mm-hmm. then I would have had to go find those issues. But yeah, like I said, mine is a combination of the two. Because um, sometimes I think, uh... I mean, you know, it's a it's a genre where the stories can be stretched out. Yeah, exactly. You know, and if you isolate it down to one issue, it 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 changes what kind of story you can tell, which is part of why I, I like doing series because you'll see some of the stuff on this list mm-hmm. and you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing, if not complete, is not as good. Oh, yeah, Like yeah. the whole is much better My number than the 10 parts. is that way for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say, Randy, I'm sorry, 90% of my list will be Spider-Man. Uh, 90% of my list won't be Spider-Man. So, so there you go. between us, Randy but will be okay. Yeah, because then you can pick out mainstream Spider-Man stuff. You don't have to wade yeah. through when he fights the Ringmaster or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, did you want to start or you want me to start? Uh, I'll start. Okay, I'll go start. ahead. Uh, so my number 10 is Preacher, uh, which is that, that horror book. Um, a lot of comic book fans are going to know it uh, about... Basically, this like half angel, half demon spawn called Genesis that comes comes down to Earth and infects a like Texas preacher, um, and gives him the power to make people do whatever he wants, and uh, and God is on vacation, so uh, Jesse Custer, who is the pre- preacher, goes out into the world to try and find God to hold God accountable for having gone on vacation, uh, and uh, it's it's a horror book. It's it's crazy and out there, but yeah, a, a whole about lot of this fun. A few times on the show, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's just a it's a weird book and one of those things that just stands out for me. I think it's a, it's fun. Um, so yeah, that's my ten. Very cool. Uh, I think my number ten is probably going to steal some of your thunder. I'm sorry, oh, no. James. I'm you sorry, son of a bitch. I know what you're going to say. Uh, my number ten is I kill giants. You f- fuck. <laughs> um, this is a book you introduced me to. Um, I knew of Joe Kelly. Yeah. Uh, he is a big writer in Spider Man. Um, and in just comics in general. 
and you said, hey, you should really check out this book. And I said, okay, yeah, sure. I, uh, I had Andrew from Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics specially order it for me. And um, I got it, and I'm reading it. It's a kind of a fun book, and you, but you, you're not sure exactly what's happening in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish our interview with Joe Kelly did not get ruined. Um, yeah. I am trying to transcribe it right now, but it's really hard. Yeah. Um, but we had a great maybe interview. He, maybe he'll come back. Maybe. We'll we, hang out with him again. Because he, he had such a great, we had a great interview with him. Yeah. Um, but I will not obviously spoil what happens in I Kill Giants. Yeah. But it's not what you think it is, and it's really sad. And it's a it's a touching and and also uplifting and empowering story. Um, it is. And man, he's Joe Kelly is just so talented. What, what I love about Joe Kelly's books is he knows how to tell stories and beats, um, really well. Yeah. Like his pacing in his books is extraordinary. And I mean, a lot. Sometimes it has to do with the artist too, but the way he tells a story is very well done in comic book form. And I think uh, one of the things that he does really well that that maybe comics don't get enough is that he'll he'll add in little scenes and all and and things that that really build the character more than they are necessarily important to the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, comics, I feel like they tend to be very plot driven. Oh, yeah. Um. And so there are things like in I Kill Giants. It's in the first. I think it's in the first issue. Pretty sure it is. Um. There's this little scene where like she's on the bus and listening to the other girls talk yep. about their clothes and she gets off and like lifts up her shirt and looks at her little pot belly and then like you know just sort of harumps and walks on and it it's maybe a page page or two uh in the book and it it's not really what the story's about you know the story really doesn't have anything to do with her self image or anything like that um but it's just this this tiny little scene that's just to give you some idea of who Barbara is and the world she's in uh and make you kind of connect and and understand her better and you don't see that kind of stuff in in comics. And that's much. why we got to get Joe Kelly on the show again because you asked him that question in yeah. our interview with it, and his answer was great. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I will try. I'm going to listen to it again. I'll try to pull as many answers and questions as I can from yeah, it yeah, and yeah. post it. I don't know if I can put up the whole interview. I've transcribed. I think. Uh, well, I've transcribed about 15 minutes of it, so that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe I'll put that up. Um, yeah. And then so you can get a little taste because he's such a great guy too. Oh, he's fantastic. Um. Yeah. Sorry, James. No, so, you're good. Uh. So James, number nine. Uh, my number nine is a book that I I put it on here because the character is it's sort of my Wonder Woman as far mm-hmm. as it's a character that I I love for the iconography more than I necessarily love the books themselves. Uh, but this this series is one that I can recommend to anybody. Uh, so my number nine is Rocketeer uh, Rocketeer Adventures. Oh yeah, um, that's wonderful. Which is those you know it's it's just little. Uh, each issue is like an anthology of different artists mm-hmm. and different writers doing Rocketeer stories. Um, I love the Rocketeer. Absolutely love the Rocketeer. Love the movie. Um, it was one of those characters that like I liked the movie and thought it was cool. And then when I got into comics and I started learning about Dave Stevens, I thought, mm-hmm. oh man, this is so interesting. Um, but I don't necessarily know that. I don't know that like any of those stories, like his original stories, would be on my list. Um, but those Rocketeer adventures oh, yeah, really capture wh- a lot of what I love. I love about the that covers character. by Darwin Cook too. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. He's so a great good. artist. Yeah. Cool. Uh, my number nine is a single issue. Um, it's Ultimate Spider-Man 160. Mm, um, this is death of this is Peter the Parker. death of Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. Um, the reason I like it is because unlike the 616 universe, is if you're going to kill someone as important as Peter Parker, um, it better be emotional. It better be he's sacrificing himself, and it better be on his own terms. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, in this in this arc that it was I don't know maybe ten issues long it's kind of a long arc of the death yeah. of Spider Man, 
Um, he gets shot trying to protect yeah, they Captain did, America. Yeah, because they did 150, which was a big deal, yeah. and then it was sort of a countdown after that. Yeah, so he got shot protecting Captain America when Captain America said he was in over his head. Uh, Norman Osborn escaped after everyone thought he was dead, and the Green Goblin is went to his house to kill his Aunt May and kill Mary Jane. and uh, With the whole Sinister Six. With the whole Sinister Six, and Spidey fought them all with a gunshot wound. Yeah. And he ended up dying protecting his aunt and um it's a great story yeah um and it's it's a great bittersweet ending because at the end of the book um the green goblin is supposedly dead and the last panels are is his smile getting just a little bigger so is he dead maybe um of course now the ultimate universe is getting eaten so yeah i guess he is but but they're uh you know it's interesting i don't know if it's a bad thing um the Ultimate Universe, they've already announced that there's going to be Miles Morales, the Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be in the Ultimate Universe? I think so. Um, so they're going to fi- stop Galactus somehow. I'm not sure how. Oh, okay. We'll find out. Gotcha. So yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man 160. Cool. Um, so my number seven? Eight? Eight. eight sorry. My number eight is, uh, it's a bit of an obvious one, um, and certainly a classic. It's Watchmen. Nice. Um, Watchmen was one of the books that got me really back into comics, and it, it, it almost feels wrong for this book to not be on the list. Um, it's not on mine. Just because, no, no, it's no, and I understand that. Um, but it's, it is exactly what art as, or uh, comics as art really means. Um, you know, when it comes to, I'd hate to say like giving legitimacy to the to the medium. Sure. Um, at least legitimacy in the ignorant masses who who think that comics yeah. are for kids. Uh, it's, it's important. And, um, of course, especially at the time that it came along. Uh, but I also just adore that story. I, I, it was one of those that when I, when I finished it stuck with me for a long time and I was obsessed with that book for a while. And I was, you know, before the movie came out, it, it all stirred back up and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, I still love the movie. Um, me too. yeah, it's, it's just great. Um, it's one of those that like like I I recommended my dad read it because he is he's a reader he'll read a lot he reads a lot of novels, um and because there are so many words in Watchmen it is so dense that was one where I was like he would enjoy this, um but I think it's it's probably a hard sell for <laughs> some modern readers it is it is a tough because I mean it's it's a really it's, dark book so. oh yeah 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 and it's a it's a lot of words for comics um and a lot of stuff you got to pay attention to but it's it's just wicked smart man, yeah, cool. Very cool. Uh, my number eight is another um, trade paperback, um, and it is Mad Love with uh, Harley Quinn and the Joker. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, written by uh, Bruce Tim. I mean, drawn by Bruce Tim, and ro- written by Paul Dini. It's basically Harley, Harley Quinn's introduction into Batman and comics, um, kind of. Uh, it's a story about how she's crazy in love with the Joker, and it's kind of her origin story. And the Joker is he gets really mad at Harley because she's able to fix a problem that the Joker had is um, he can never get piranhas to smile. So Harley Quinn has the idea that if she hangs Batman upside down, they'll always be smiling. Uh, Cause if, if you know piranhas, they look like they're frowning. And so he gets really mad and beats her up and <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad and it's not, even though it's drawn by um, Bruce Tim, it's not for kids. Yeah. Um, Cause there's even parts where Harley Quinn's wearing like see-through lingerie and, and things like that. So, um, but it's really well done and it's a great character study on um, the dangers of loving somebody you shouldn't, but can't help yourself. Um, so That's you should cool. definitely check out Mad Love. 
Cool. Uh, so my now it's number seven. Um, this is the place where I'm going to cheat because uh, it just says Buffy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, look, look at what my number seven is. My number seven is Buffy season eight, number five. Okay, cool. So you picked a specific issue. So yeah. we'll just talk about it. Um, so when I say Buffy, I mean all of it. <laughs> um, I like I like season eight a lot. Season nine has been really fun, or was uh, yeah, yeah, was fun. Um, and uh, but that also I'm including the Willow series in this, mm-hmm. and I'm also including, of course, Angel Cheater. and Faith. Um, yeah, no, I'm totally cheating here. <laughs> I don't care. It was like the things that I cut off of my list. I was like, no, oh, that's really a shame. So when it came to this, I was like, oh, I'll bundle them together. Nice. Because honestly, if I had to choose. Angel of Faith would have been on the list and Buffy wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that feels a little false because one of the big things that I love about the Buffy books is um, uh, No Future for You, which is the second um, the second section of, uh, of, or the second trade, I should say, of season eight, which is all about Faith. And it's the, it's the series that made me like Faith as a character at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the chain... Yeah. Should, you know that did you read the story behind that one um what, where joss got the idea to write it i've heard it before uh he, w- one of the costume people or something like that on buffy died and uh an actual person for on the tv show yeah and he was sad because no one really knew who she was um, all right i haven't heard that before and so wow. he wrote a story about somebody who is part of buffy but nobody knows who they are, and they end up dying and sacrificing themselves. Yeah. Um, and so the chain to me is, I think, uh, the pinnacle for Buffy books, and, oh, it's, yeah. and it's one of the best comics I've read in a long time. Yeah. Um, it's moving. It's sad because you're. It, it tricks you into thinking you're watching Buffy fight. Yeah. And then when Buffy dies, well, in quotes, and you realize that it's not her. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, and really those powerful. those last lines are just so mm. so perfect. Um, yeah, that issue is amazing. Um, yeah, because you know I struggled too. Um, you you cheated and did like a whole series of books. I did yeah. like specific stories. Yeah. Uh, but Angel and Faith was too hard for me to pick a single issue. Yeah. Because um, it's all great. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's the other thing. So Angel and Faith is uh, the art is fantastic. It's honestly one of the I I think as a season long arc the whole mm-hmm. se- the whole idea behind what Angel and Faith was about and here's spoilers for Buffy but um the whole idea that Giles is dead and specifically Angel and Faith have to go and find him again mm-hmm. that to me was so special the story that they tell how they resolve that issue is so great um I really feel like out of everything that's that's been in the Buffy universe ever that long story arc is the best like season long yeah. story that out of television because, comics like it was just amazing because what's great about it too is it's not just the quest to s- resurrect giles it's a quest to find out who angel and faith really are it's, right it's just who are you as a person yeah you know um it's it's wonderful especially like because you know faith really needed to be better defined if oh yeah in in some ways and angel post twilight also needed to to be given his own his own character back um and so it yeah on a very practical level as far as like what are these characters going forward it serves a huge purpose um but it was also like it really was it was 
right up there with you know what my number one and you know the top couple things on my list are. This was one of those where when my comics would come in every month, it was the first thing I read off the yeah. stack because um, I just could not wait. It was always entertaining and so much fun. And oh man, those covers! Yeah, and man, you know, that's what really issue eleven. Oh wow! What sucked man. me in originally was the art. Yeah. Rebecca Isaacs is a wonderful artist, but then you read, and Christos Gage is such a yeah. wonderful writer yeah. that it's just a wonderful match. And now that they're doing Buffy season ten, I can't wait. Oh, it's gonna be so good. Because her Buffy looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. So that cool. was my seven. Cool. Do you want to do your number six since my seven was Buffy as well? Oh, that's but right. My, my Buff, if you're looking for the chain specifically, it's Buffy season eight issue number five. Um, yeah, it's yep. it's a great. Uh, See, you don't even have to read anything else in Buffy. You can literally pick oh, up totally. this issue and read it. And uh, it, it has nothing to do with the rest of the Buffy comics. Yep. It's just, I mean, it it does. You have to have. Well, no. As long as you've seen the end of season seven. Yep. Because you have it. to understand who that. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Um, but cool. Um, so my number six is. I guess I'm kind of cheating here too, but uh, my number six is Spider-Man Blue. Nice. Um, and I'm also kind of using this as just Spider-Man in general because <laughs> um, I've also got like in parentheses here Ultimate Spider-Man because um, Ultimate Spider-Man is a book that I, I feel like if you were at a comic book store and you like Spider-Man, you can pick up any issue oh, yeah, and it'll be yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that one is just such a crowd pleaser. Uh, but Spider-Man Blue specifically is a... Is a I, I picked that one because it's a story I feel like you could only tell in the comics. Oh, yeah. Um, it's It's a story that... I think really sort of redefined that character and was something really special for me when I got back into comics and, and made mm-hmm. me be like, cause I, I grew up loving Spider-Man of course. Um, but that was the first time where I read an, uh, a series about Spider-Man where I thought like, Oh dude, this is really somebody treating this character with a lot of respect. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's great about that too is uh, it's not on my list, but it's, it's a wonderful story. Yeah. Um, because not only is it with Peter Parker, but also, it redefines who Norman Osborn is. Yeah. Because one of the things that, when you read the comics from the 60s, that's always kind of silly now is, you know, Norman always had amnesia? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and that he, it's a big reveal in the book, but it's been out for like 11 years. Yeah. That Norman never had amnesia. In fact, he was hiring other villains to go after Spidey. And it's it's a great story. Um and it's it's a last little he's he's recording a message to Gwen Stacy. Yeah. And it's it's just wonderfully done. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. So pick that one up. Yeah. You can always find the trade. I don't the single issues are a little harder to find. Um I should look for those. I've never even tried. Um I, I, I know cool. I know the hardest one for me to find was the first one because it, the Green yeah. Goblin's actually in the first one. Um and the the first one and like the fourth one. I could always find Five, six, and like two and three. Yeah. But it took me a little bit to find the first uh, one and the fourth one. That is almost exactly the problem I had with I Kill Giants when yep. I was collecting it. And then it was funny when we saw Joe Kelly at Mile High. I mean, and he just had stacks, stacks of, them. of number one. Yeah. I was just, I was like crawling all over people trying to find issue one. <laughs> and then we get to his table and he's just like, oh, yeah, I got a bunch of them. Yeah. It's like, son of a bitch. Yeah, it's all right. It was good. Um, cool. Uh, my number six is um, another Spider Man story. Um, it took place in Spectacular Spider-Man, and I forgot to write down the issue numbers, but I, if I can remember off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure it's issues 177 to 184, something like that, or 177 to 183, and it's called The Child Within, and it deals with um, three characters specifically and their childhood traumas. Peter Parker, for his abandonment from his parents, um, because remember, he went and lived with his aunt and his uncle. 
um, Harry Osborn because his father was Norman Osborn, so he was crazy. Um, and a, a guy named Edward, who is a villain named Ver, Vermin, who is half half rat, half man, and he's a cannibal. Um, and each one has so Peter Parker deals with the abandonment. Harry Osborn deals with never living up to his father's expectations. Even as a Green Goblin, Harry is always um, an inferior Green Goblin. Um, and then Vermin, this is where it gets really dark. Vermin was sexually assaulted by his father. And by doing that, the character of Edward created this monster called Vermin, which when he was exposed to experiments came out. And uh, and the book is wonderful. It's written by J.M.D. Matisse. And it, and each character has these little arcs in it. And my favorite is actually Vermin in it, mm-hmm. um, because there's there's parts in it where he's still a monster, and he goes to his parents' house and he he's killing his dad. And he's and then the last page in this is by the wonderful Sal Basuma, and his dad's all bloody and cut up, and his mom's screaming. And then that's the cliffhanger. You read the next issue, and he's it starts off with him as a little boy, and it's talking about what his dad did to him. And then it cuts to him in real time. And as vermin, he's like crying and mm. he doesn't under, it's, it's a wonderful story. It's really dark. It doesn't get a lot of, um, praise like yeah. the other ones do. It does, I think in the Spider-Man circles, but if you were looking for a darker story, um, for Spider-Man and one that deals with issues that you might not see in, um, the wonderful ending to the Harry Osborn and Spider-Man arc until later on, I'll, I'll tell you that issue too, um, is Spider-Man's tired of fighting Harry Osborn and he goes, you know what, Harry, just kill me. And so the Green Goblin gets his glider and he has this prong coming out and he's just zooming in. And one of the things with Sal Basuma, he's so great at telling a story without words. Mm-hmm. And so this is a three-page thing with no words. And each bit, the Green Goblin's getting closer and he rips off his mask and he's pissed off. And then just before he gets to Spider-Man, he throws up his arms like, why? Why can't I kill you? And Spider-Man, Peter Parker says, because you're better than your father. And that's the end of the series. That's the end of the book. Oh, man. And it's... And it's he's crying, and Spider-Man just leaves him there crying, and it, it's it's a wonderful psychological story. So pick up the child within. It's it's wonderful. That's it awesome. really is. Um, James, number five. Uh, my number five is I already actually mentioned it. It's American Vampire. Nice. Um, this is one that like I I think I sort of picked it up on a lark. I'd heard about it for a while, but uh, I read it on vacation, and like I uh, I didn't want to do vacation things i just wanted to read more american vampire you gave me the first trade because i think you bought it twice or something yeah i did yeah, and i, I read the first trade in like 40 minutes yeah because yeah. i just kept on reading it i didn't want to stop yeah um the first trade half of it is written by scott snyder and half of it is written by um by uh oh my gosh um holy crap uh stephen king wow man <laughs> um so uh and it i think the thing i love about it is it is both an anthology and so like every every trade takes place in a different time period um but then it also creates this whole world where all of the different um all the different sort of versions of the vampire myth are simply a different race of vampire yeah it's cool um so like your your traditional vampire is this romanian vampire and you know there are asian vampires and then it introduces the american vampire which you know, plays on sort of these ideas of what America is and what Ameri- like early Americans were, like that sort of Wild West kind of thing, um, and makes this really badass character out of Skinner Sweet, who um, Skinner Sweet is like this 
sort of wild west criminal guy um and a real bad person at first but they they do such a good job at making him somehow likable he's that fun kind of vicious um because it it seems like he is more chaotic than just malicious you know where there's yeah. the there's the sort of traditional vampires and they really just want to eat people um Whereas he doesn't like that they are so elitist. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. Is that he, they they think they are so cool, and he's he's this traditional American dude sort of, and he just hates them because they think they're so cool. Um, and there's just something about that you kind of like. Yeah. Um, and then to watch him tell these sort of vampire stories through time as they move forward, and there's you know some in World War Two, and there's you know like fifties um, music culture story, and there's a there's a um, a communist sort of, sort of blacklist story. Um, they're just really badass, and the the art uh, by um, how do you pronounce his name? Raphael Albuquerque, I believe. Um, he it's just amazing. Uh, anytime he doesn't do the book, I'm actually really disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's great, and you could pick up any trade and read it, and you'd enjoy it. So yeah, the first one was fun. Yeah, I'll have to lend you some of the other ones. They're great. Um, my number five, uh, just so you know, the rest of mine are Spider-Man stories, um, <laughs> is um, actually Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, Issue 36, which deals with the aftermath of September 11th. Um, oh, yeah. And it's a really powerful story about um, heroes can't save everything. And it goes right into that with Spider-Man is New York. And for him not to stop a terrorist attack... It, it's a really powerful story. Mm-hmm. The art by John Romita Jr. is amazing. Um, and it's just the heroes of New York and even the villains trying to make sense of what happened. And at the end of the day, you, you can't make sense of what happened. And it, it's just a really powerful story. A uh, really hard issue to find. Um, if you ever see a Amazing Spider-Man that's all black, that's what it is. Um, and, and read it because it's powerful. And uh, you can probably pick it up in a trade. I don't know what trade it's in, um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's somber and uh, yeah, let's check it out. The art is amazing. The writing by uh, J. Michael Straczynski is really good. Um, it, it's it's a different story again, but it, it symbolizes because to me, I think Spider Man's the greatest American hero ever, um, and it symbolizes kind of what he went through if he was around. If he yeah, was, if he if it's September 11th happened and he was there, yeah. Um, it, it's really good. So check out that one. Cool. Uh, my number four is Why the Last Man, uh, which is Brian K. Vaughn's epic um, about, you know, basically the last all man of a sudden, Earth. yeah, all of a sudden, suddenly all the men on Earth except for a man named York and his uh, pet monkey, uh, they all drop dead and women are left to run the world and things drop into chaos and... Uh, he sort of wanders around trying to find what he's supposed to do now. Um, and uh, and it was part of why it's on here is it's one of the when I first got in, back into comics, I was in college. Um, it was actually the exact it was the same year that I was watch, listening to a lot of podcasts because I just needed to entertain myself because <laughs> I lived alone. Um, and uh, and I was listening to podcasts about comic books and I sort of got into I got into one called Geekscape and then later got into iFanboy, which iFanboy is a fantastic comic book podcast. Um, and their website was amazing. If if not for them, I wouldn't have found all of the great books that I love. Um, 
And so based on some of the things I'd heard about, I just went to a local comic shop and picked up a few books, one of them being Why the Last Man, one of them being uh, The Walking Dead. And um, when I turned the page, this is spoilers for like issue two or maybe even the end of issue one, but um, the you know, Brian K. Vaughn is really, really good at page turns and cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's amazing how good he is at it. Um, maybe, maybe the pinnacle of that is at the end of Ex Machina where you've read this whole first trade and you don't really know what, or maybe it's the first issue. I think it's the first trade. Um, and you get to the end and you turn the page and you realize that this whole story you've, you've been reading through, um, there's just this shot of New York and one, one twin tower is there and one is not. Mm. And, and you realize that this is this drastically different version where a superhero saved one of the two towers. Um, things like that, where he'll just pull these cliffhangers out and you just, it blows your mind. Uh, and he did that when he reveals Yorick's sister as one of the Amazons. Um, and that was a moment where I was like, I, I knew I was hooked. Like I knew, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be reading comics the rest of my life. Like this is, this is something special. There's something really cool here. So, um, I, I just love the story. I love Yorick. Um, I think, uh, where, where he takes Yorick, sort of his motivations early on and, and how that changes throughout the story are, are fantastic. I love it. So very cool. Um, my number five is another Spider-Man story that actually went across three of his we books. Five? We're on four. Is it four? Yeah. yeah, four. I'm sorry. Uh, went across all three of his books, Web, Spectacular, and Amazing. It's called Fearful Symmetry. It's known more commonly as Craven's Last Hunt. Oh! Um, and the story for this one is Craven is always beat up by Spider-Man. And Craven wanted to prove that he was better than Spider-Man, so he was able to tranquilize Spider-Man and bury him alive. He puts Spider-Man's costume on and beats Vermin almost to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Spider-Man gets out, Craven says, you know what? I proved to you that I'm better than you. And then he blows his brains out. And Spider-Man's left to deal with Vermin and other stuff like that. And it's it's a dark story again. Yeah. It makes Craven a cool character because he's never cool. No matter what anybody says, yeah. no one likes Craven until was... after Craven's last hunt. Yeah, yeah. He was always like that <laughs> weird dude with a lion for a shirt. Yep. So... Uh, but I do think he'd make a good villain in a movie. I agree. Um, but uh, so Craven's Last Hunt is really good. Um, you can pick up this trade anywhere. Um, it's definitely one I would pick up. He actually he is one of the villains in the like Spider Man Amazing Spider Man Two video game. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, Craven's Last Hunt, dark, interesting, cool. Check it out. Uh, so my number three um, is a weird one. Um, it's a it's a book that like I first read it and was like this is weird and then something just stuck with me and a couple of years later I just sat down one weekend and read through the whole thing again that weekend um, and I just I really love this book it's called Black Hole uh, it's by Charles Burns he wrote it over like ten years because um, he wrote it and did the art himself uh, and his art style is unique um, and it's basically this really sort of trippy story that it follows a couple different teenagers. Um, in this town that's, there is this weird STD going around that, um, causes people to mutate. So it's like sexually transmitted X-Men. Nice. Um, only it doesn't give them superpowers. It just turns them into freaks. Mm. So some of them have hair growing all over their bodies or they grow a weird mouth in their neck or, you know, just like weird, more like 
<laughs> like cartoon versions of what happens when you get exposed to radiation, <laughs> like that, that kind of stuff. Um, but they're and they're all very specifically chosen so that like some of them are oddly sexual and like, I mean, I I will be very honest, the the way he makes a very attractive young woman with a tail kind of sexy <laughs> is weird. It makes you very uncomfortable to read the book. Um, but it's just a really great story because it really ends up being about what it's like to be sort of ostracized and pushed to the outside, um, especially at that age, um, and and sort of what a couple of different characters go through to try and deal with either their being infected or their friends being infected and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's a pretty thick book. Um, it's pretty dense and, and definitely weird. Um, but if you are an adult and that kind of stuff sounds cool to you, you should definitely check it out. It's, it's one of those like special little gems. I feel like I know about that people don't talk about often enough. Um, man, I would love for them to make a movie. It would be great. No one would see it, but I would love it. So, so if there's an audience of one out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, my number three is a single issue. Um, it's Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, Issue 33. Um, the reason I picked this one is um, there's lots of issues that define who Spider-Man is. Amazing Fantasy 15, of course. Uh, this one, though, I think is the ultimate definition of who he is as a character. Um he his aunt may is dying and master planner is the only one who has the cure for it who turns out to be dr octopus and uh at the at the end of uh 32 he gets crushed by this weight of this uh underwater lab crashing down on him and he can't lift it up and he has an internal monologue for a few pages where he says i just got to give up there's nothing i can do about it i mean aunt may's going to she's going to die and it's going to be my fault but then he gets the power and he the the drive to be better than that and he says you know what no screw this i'm spider-man i'm peter parker i can do all of this and he lifts a hundred tons off of him and throws it away beats up doc ock gets the cure to save aunt may um, and to me that's who spider-man is is when all the chips are against him he rises up to the challenge and uh, it's a great story awesome um so my number two, we've talked about before. <laughs> my number two is I Kill Giants. Um, yeah, I I love this book. It's still one of my favorite things. It made me cry in public, uh, <laughs> which I will never forgive Joe Kelly for. Um, he did kind of laugh when you told him that. I know. He's I like, know. perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, I just man, that story just stuck with me. It's it's one of those like if I ever have a daughter, or let's say you have a daughter, yeah. um, that'll be at some point they'll get that gift, yeah. um, or help fuck it a son. But still, um, <laughs> and then just you, a beautiful. You story. read the story and then you read his explanation oh his afterward the, yeah. about his dad. Oh man, I think I cried again. <laughs> like it was just oh, it's such a gorgeous story. Um, and the fact that that one, especially the fact that that doesn't have an indie movie made after it, I don't understand. Yeah. Like it would just kill. Um, this is really one of those where like, I can recommend this book to literally anyone. If you read comics, you need to read I kill giants. <laughs> um, or even if you don't like all of my friends should just have read this book cause yep. it's so good. You're right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, my number two is another single issue. It's uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 200. 
And when I talk about the child within, this is um, about a year later where it's the culmination of Peter Parker and Harry Osborne's relationship. Um, it has one of my favorite covers of all time. It's just Spider-Man and the Green Goblin holding each other while they're on a, he's on a goblin glider. Um, and it just deals with what if your best friend was your best enemy, your greatest enemy. Um, it opens with Harry kidnapping Mary Jane and Mary Jane, he takes her to the top of a bridge and he, and Mary Jane says, if you're going to kill me, just do it. I don't care. And he says, no, I would never kill you. I just want to let you know that anything that happens between me and Peter though, you know, I'll kill Peter, but I'm not going to kill you. Um, and so the story progresses and he just, he's just tormenting Peter throughout the story and he's taking an enhanced version of the goblin formula to make him stronger but it's also making him more crazy yeah and so he sets up this um, party at this uh, condominium house he has and um, he lures spider-man there and it's rigged with explosives and he poisons spider-man and spider-man can't move and he says you know what i'm gonna kill both of us it's better this way me, I'm not around. You're not around. Let's just leave it at that. And uh, he doesn't realize that Mar- Mary Jane and Norman are inside the building as well. And Spider-Man can't get up. Sp- he's he's been poisoned. He's done. And he Peter says to Harry, he says, "You have to save Mary Jane and Norman. They don't deserve this. Uh, little Normie and Mary Jane don't deserve to be killed by you. Maybe I do, but those people do not." And so he saves them, and he he drops them off outside. And Mary Jane looks at him in the eye and says, wait, wait a minute. You're just leaving Peter in there to die. What's wrong with you? Hmm. And again, Salvasuma, the greatest artist ever. Um, no words for like seven pages. Goblin goes back in, comes back out with Peter. Um, he sets him down. And um, as Peter feels better, the goblin falls over um, and he dies in an ambulance. Hmm. And so he dies being a hero. Um, and that's how it ends. It just ends with him being dead hmm. and driving the ambulance driving away. It's uh, it's powerful. Yeah. Um, and it's just a testament again to J.M.D. Matisse and uh, Sal Basuma, my favorite Spider-Man artist, because he could tell a story better than anybody else with no words. And uh, it's, it's it's a beautiful book. And it's it's a book you can always get because it's during the mid 90s where it was oh, yeah, a, a yeah. foil cover. So there's a yeah, yeah. And, he was polybagged yeah. and, you know, there's five million copies of it. So. It was $10 if you wanted it on the shelf. So nobody <laughs> yeah. bought it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can pick it up. It's probably like, in fact, I know for a fact you can probably get it for $2 at Coins, Cards and Comics. <laughs> um, I would pick That's it awesome. up. It's a great book. Giant size. It's like 50 pages. It's wonderful. Cool. That's my number two. But you know what my number one is? Um, my number one isn't just my favorite comic. It's one of my favorite things, um, which is always the way I put it when I talk about this book. Because <laughs> um, it's just true. Like I, When I first read this, um, this was before... Uh, yeah, this was... I had read some stuff by Joe Kelly. I had started reading The Heart-Shaped Box, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then I found out that Joe Kelly was also writing comics and I thought, Oh, I'll check this out. So I picked up the first trade of lock and key. You mean Joe Hill. Um, Joe Hill. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep saying Joe Kelly. Uh, yeah, Joe Hill. Sorry. Um, so I f- picked up the first trade of lock and key. Um, and I think I read, I remember this was like right after I moved down to Denver. So I, I was buying them at Barnes and Noble. I think I bought all the first 
two trades in two days. Like I bought, oh. I read the one and read it, and read right back and read the next trade, <laughs> and and just basically took it home, sat in my chair, and read the whole freaking thing. Um, because I love both the premise and the way it tells the story and the art. Like everything about this thing is is just amazing. Um, it's basically. The fun bit of it is that it's a this house and it's got all these magical doors in it and magical keys that go with them and if you walk through certain doors they do certain things. Uh, the first door that they find is a door that if you walk through it you drop dead and turn into a ghost and you can go do ghostly things. Um, but they're telling this huge epic story with like people who are um, sort of infested with demons and like there's all kinds of like. Very, it's very layered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's very Stephen Kingish. Um it's Joe Hill is Stephen King's son, but that whole thing of like they're just being, you know, this sort of thin line before between demons and just being crazy um and uh and all the different ways he plays with like he uses that magic in certain ways that are really friggin' creepy and weird. Um the the villain when you first meet the villain is this sort of beautiful woman at the bottom of a well, but she is slightly bizarre and you don't really know what's going on. Um, and then eventually you find out that that beautiful woman is actually a man, but there's a key that if you go through that door, it'll change your sex. And that mm-hmm. happened at one point. And it's just, it, it spans this huge time frame, And, um, and all of that is, is also, you're, you're, you're going through this world with these kids who, um, at the very beginning, their dad is brutally murdered, um, and their mom is now an alcoholic and that's why they've moved into this old family home. Um, and so they're having to deal with all of those emotions, uh, and this, that story and where that story goes and how Joe Hill wraps it up is just so fantastic. Um, yeah, they, Fox tried to make it into a TV show a few years ago and it was one of those things I was so excited about because I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see this. And of, of course it unfortunately died, um, before it ever even aired. Um, but it's just, I love this thing. If you, the exact same thing I said with, with I Kill Giants, like, in, in this case, you have to like some horror, because there are some graphic no. and dark <laughs> things about this book. Um, but I I just love it. Everybody needs to check this thing out. It's so much fun, man. Yeah. Very cool. And you'll know my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mine's a two-parter. It's the night Gwen Stacy died. Um, of course, Green Goblin knows who Spider-Man is, kidnaps Gwen Stacy... He throws her off a bridge. Um, Spider-Man catches her with his webbing. Breaks her neck. Her neck, neck. Bre- her neck, her neck breaks. Um, but the Green Goblin taunts her and says, oh, she's already dead. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what you did. Um, I read an interview with Jerry Conway who wrote the story. And he says even though he wrote in that crack, he likes to believe that she was already dead as well. And, and what's great about a writer when he doesn't even know, understand his own writing is that's how p- profound it is. Um but a lot of people po- point to issue 121 of Amazing Spider-Man as a great issue. I actually think the follow-up to it's better. Um, it's one, it's 122, and it's a Green Goblin's last stand. Um, because to me, um, yeah, it's a heartbreaking story. But does that define who Spider-Man is? No, it doesn't. What defines who Spider-Man is is he goes crazy looking for the Green Goblin, finds him, is going to beat him to his death. And then he realizes that if he does that, he's no better. He's no better than the Green Goblin. Even though the Green Goblin murdered the person he loves, if he kills him, then it, it it's all for nothing. Her memory is tainted. Um, so he stops. 
and the Green Goblin ends up killing himself. Um, it, it's a great story. It's heartbreaking. I still get teared up every time I read it. Um, I don't know why it moves me so much. Yeah. I think it's because I love Spider-Man so much. And to me, that's the ultimate comic book story of all time. Um, about self-sacrificing, making the wrong decision, then making the right decision. And um, and Jerry Conway, uh, the, the part of me that always sticks is the end of the Green Goblin is he's impelled by his own goblin glider and it says so is this how proud men die on a on a cross of gold no they die in a crumble old tin or something like that Mm. and it's just really it's really powerful um that this man who thinks he's better than everybody else is nothing um so if if you don't know the story obviously you should get it but i'm sure everybody knows the story and they're expensive. So make sure you get the trade paperback called The Death <laughs> yeah. of the Stacys. Um, exactly. Because that one also does her father's death, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's a great issue, too. Um, but that, that to me, is the ultimate Spider-Man. Cool. So that was our really long comic book corner. Yeah. Um, that's Randy, fun. thank you. Um, I love sharing that stuff. I know you're not a big mainstream comic book guy, but uh, Spider-Man's my guy. And hopefully James gave you a lot of... Non-mainstream like comics. weird shit out. to read, yeah. Like Black Hole. Like Black Hole. Oh, man, <laughs> Black Hole. Um, it's a cool book. Cool. So we'll get right back into movies now. These are the box office numbers from last week. This is the box office stats. January record, right along, $41 million. So weird. The nut job. Yeah. Even the nut job beat Jack Ryan. Crazy, huh? Yeah, man. Maybe we saw Jack Ryan did 18 or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's January. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still one of the best January. Yeah, I can't believe uh, Ride Along did so well. Yeah. But I guess it's broadly appealing. I mean, yeah. it's a comedy, a buddy comedy. Yeah. I guess if... Kevin Hart is running around doing black jokes. Yeah. Because Kevin Hart... Nice, he looking mad. He's really good at looking mad. Yeah. Oh, man. I can't wait for 22 Jump Street. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, what's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD next week. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Oh, man, it's two things right off the bat that James loves. Yeah, Tien Crumpets and Rush. Downton uh, Abbey and Rush. <laughs> yeah, um, so, yeah, Downton Abbey Season 4 comes out this week. Uh, Rush comes out this week. Uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the first one? No, they're really popular though. Yeah, I know. I keep one thinking. I um, guess I my niece and nephews really like them. When they're written by the guys who write How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. So yeah, um, Last Vegas, which I was bizarrely interested in for some. Well, all the actors reason. in it are really good. Oh yeah. Well, and that joke where Morgan Freeman's like trying to jump out of this window, and then he jumps, and it's only like six inches. Something about the way it's shot <laughs> in the trailer, it it gets me. Like I think that's funny. Um, Metallica's Through the Never, which I think I actually saw a good review for. I don't know. Here's the one you care about, though, Ryan. Uh, Bad Grandpa comes uh, out this week. Excuse me? Oscar-nominated Bad <laughs> Grandpa? Which is more than Rush can say. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with that. Me too. I should. Uh, I mean, I should check out Bad Grandpa, but... It's um, funny. Uh, looks like there's a, there's a season of Treme. The Fifth Estate comes out this week. Um... There's a movie. Oh, it's a collection of Nicholas Sparks. Never mind. Um, <laughs> of that weird, like, uh, I, I, I mean, it was in theaters, right? The Bonnie and Clyde sort of remake thing. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I think it was in theaters for a day. Oh, there's Snow, the knockoff of Frozen. 
No, no, no. It's it's Snow Queen. Oh, okay. It's somebody else. Yeah, it's somebody else telling the, you know, it's probably like the same people who make that. Um, what was it? The Brave ripoff. Braver, I think. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's probably those same. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. Oh man. Yeah. Holy shit! That's a Blu-ray re-release of E.T. I think remastered in 4K when they're in the gold boulder border. Uh, really? Or maybe it's a Ward something or... Uh, remastered for... Yeah, Academy Awards. Hmm. Or, no, or, yeah, it's a, it says nominated for Academy Awards. Um, oh, yeah, and this is the week that that documentary about Bonhoeffer comes out. Sure. But anyway. That's it. Yeah, the gold thing must be something they're just doing now, where they're re-releasing, like, because here's Jaws and King Kong are this week, too. Nice, great movies. Yeah. Cool, this is the stuff we've been watching this week. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. James, you didn't watch a lot? No, I mean, I watched my allotment of four things. Oh, sweet. Sexy asses. Um, <laughs> what's that, what that movie that you stopped on? You stopped oh, yeah, on yeah. Specifically, um, it's just in the... I think it's Angelic Asses. Yeah, Angelic Asses 2. Comes out this week. Love it. I didn't know the... F- well, the first one was pretty good. Maybe the yeah. second one can build on it. Uh, I didn't think they could make a sequel, though. Because uh, the, <laughs> the way Angelic Asses 1 ends, I you thought, know, you're like... You right. I thought that was really the, the end. Oh. Get it? Because, like, butts? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, so I saw a few things. I, I watched the whole eighth season of How I Met Your Mother. Um, I still love that show. Which season is... That was last season? Yeah. Okay. I got all it right. on DVD. I, I saw most I lost, of the episodes. I lost track of yeah. the numbers. <laughs> I, I saw the ep- most of the episodes, but some I must have missed in the middle. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the most clever sitcoms ever made. Yeah. It's also the sitcom that plays to the most fan service. Yeah. Because there's so many times when you don't even... Like, they make joke callbacks to jokes from season one. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so, if you've never seen an episode of How I Met Your Mother, you can never watch them now, the new yeah. ones, because you'll never get them. Are you, um, so have you not been watching any of this season I've yet? seen a couple of them. Okay. This season's been great. Yeah. I think the here. fact that this is the last season has, has sort of uh, given them carte blanche to sort of pull out all the stops, and they've been, they've been really good. I've, I've, season eight to me, last season, was a little bit hit or miss sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but... Oh man, That's I love that show. show. Yeah. Um, you know, Red Cowboy Boots, Teddy Westside. Oh, Teddy Westside. All that stuff. Um, so I've been on this uh, Scream off. Factory um, Collector's Edition Blu-rays. Yeah. Um, so I watched four this week. Uh, I'll just touch on them really quickly. Uh, Cat People, which is a Natasha Kinski, um, Malcolm McDowell uh, movie from 1982. It's it, Its tagline is, the erotic thriller that brings out the animal in all of us. <laughs> um, yeah, and does. basically it's a werewolf movie. Where, where what? Yeah, where they turn into black panthers. Oh, okay. So it's not um, really. Or it's, a were, it's a were. It's a panther. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or black panthers. I'm not sure exactly. Or <laughs> they, black they leopards. Turn into, or they black turn panthers. into black panthers, huh? Yeah. Uh, and they start eat throwing people. rocks through white people's houses. Yeah. <laughs> and they eat people. Um, <laughs> Ed Bagley Jr. gets his arm ripped off. Um, John Larroquette's in it. Um, John Hurd. No. Um, yeah. Wow. It's all right. <laughs> uh, I also saw The Burning, which is actually uh, it's a horror slasher film that I kind of enjoy because it's so silly, um, but it has great makeup effects by Tom Savini. Um, it's your typical summer camp slasher movie. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it does have a really standout piece where the villain kills a bunch of kids on a raft. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, From Beyond, which is an HP Lovecraft uh, adaptation by Stuart Gordon, who did Reanimator. And it's another uh, introdu- interesting, sexually perverse HP Lovecraft film um, about the From the Beyond is in between the world that we see. There's monsters that live there, and the and these scientists develop a way for them to be brought to physical being. Um, and I guess I was listening to the commentary, and H.P. Lovecraft was using it as because back then everyone was dying of these diseases that nobody saw, so he was trying to create monsters that were doing it. Mm. Um, it's interesting. The makeup effects in it are really good. Cool. Um, it's violent. Uh, I also saw Life Force, which is written by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote Alien and Return wow. of the Living Dead. Um, it's directed by Toby Hooper, who did Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's about uh, this space shuttle expedition that is tracking Haley's Comet, and they find an alien ship that's on that's on its tail, basically. And they go they go into it, and it's like a bunch of giant bats. Uh, the original name of the novel they adapted it from is called The Space Vampires. Um, oh man! Yeah, so it's uh, I know why they changed the name, but I like Space Vampires. Me too. More. I love the, I love the Space Vampires. <laughs> Basically, they're sucking the essence of people. Yeah, they're not really sucking blood out of their um, assholes. Yeah, it has Patrick Stewart in in it. Um, it's an unusual movie. The alien walks around naked all the time, and she's really attractive. Oh, species? Uh no. Okay, um, but she's uh yeah, it, it's really weird, but there's some really cool effects in it. Um, they have these uh, mechanical, um, like kind of zombie mixed with uh, vampires, um, and they have to constantly suck the life force out of people or they disintegrate. It's an interesting movie. Uh, it was, I don't know, I'll watch it with commentary next time. It's all right. Cool. Um, they're just kind of fun movies because they're so obscure um, that they put out, most of them anyways. Um, and the last thing I watched, uh, I actually watched it last night. It was Terminator Salvation. Did you that, watch it? That'll lead very well into the fact that I watched Terminator Salvation nice. this week. Um, did you watch the director's cut? You know, I forgot to change it over to the director's cut, so I okay. did not watch the director's cut. I did, but it's not drastically different. No, Basically, I heard it's like there's four minutes or something. Like that's all. Um, but yeah, because I didn't even notice it wasn't the director's cut until the part where she was not naked, not naked, and all of a sudden it was this weird edit yeah edit. it's here's the thing even with the boobs it's still a weird edit because all of a sudden it's not raining anymore um, um I, I that was, whole that whole scene is just messed up i watched it the this is a special feature with mcg and he says the reason he cut it out is because it was just gratuitous um i don't think it's gratuitous hmm. i really don't i i i've heard him say that before and i don't believe him i i think they asked him to cut it out hmm. um because i think that scene only makes sense with the nudity Mm-hmm. Um, because there is sort of this connection. I don't remember the, it at all. It, I, there, basically, like, there's just this scene where, you know, she's sort of changing, and it, it's a little gr- gratuitous because, like, why is she changing? But, you know, he is sort of this machine kind of dude. Um, I, I think they're trying to sort of set something up with his humanity there, but I, it, it's also because the dudes come in to attack them and they're making all of these comments about the fact that they've been watching them and like mm. they're sort of hitting on her and things like that. And that only really makes sense if 
they, yeah, they if they were at the top of the hill watching her undress, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still stops raining, so it's just weird. It's a weird thing. Um, but. I, I still think it's not a bad movie. Um, there's some silly parts in it. Um, I don't like the water terminators. Um, yeah, no, those that are doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Um, but I, I like the the message, and in fact, um, watching the ending again is not as bad as I remember it being. Um, it makes sense to me how they ended it um, because they did a um, the part. I forgot about the part at the beginning with Sam Worthington and Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter, Carter. Um, where he's trying to save his humanity and he has no way to do it. Um, there's some lapses in logic in it. Yeah. Um, you know, where, you know, John Connor is saying, Oh, I've never seen like a Terminator like you before. Uh, all the Terminators are like him. <laughs> um, so yeah, the only difference is he's got a heart. Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess he's not as robotic as the other ones, but still, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Some of the, uh, some of the little things about it, like the fact that he's a Terminator with a heart, mm-hmm. like that alone is just a little bit rolling, yeah. But they don't say it in a way like they they sort of try to bury the lead on that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the truth is, I I really enjoyed it, and I actually, I actually um, think it's a very competently made movie. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, I've always I like McG. Yeah. I do. I mean, visually, um, it's really cool. Yeah. Because you know, I always talk about the helicopter scene. But that scene where they're escaping, um, him and uh, Blair in the in the truck with the oh no 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 him and Blair where they're running through the minefield. There's a one yeah. continuous shot where he's following them as they go behind bunkers and the camera keeps on spinning yeah. around. It's pretty well done. Oh yeah yeah. I even actually really liked the um, you know I, maybe because I was watching it on a smaller TV, but the CG Arnold and that whole fight, I actually really enjoyed it this time. Yeah, it, it looked better um, than I remember it looking. Yeah, me too. Um, which is f- funny because there's another movie I'm going to talk about later that doesn't look as good as I remember it looking. Um, but yeah, I think it, um, it's, I think it's than... way more, co- like the story is way more competent than I remember. Yeah, me too. Um, I still wish the ending were what I wanted it to be. Me too. Um, I still think like if they had nailed that ending, it would have just, then they would have made sequels. Well, that, yeah. It would have been so smart. People would have been flocking to see that movie because I think the actions were all really great. Um, there are a couple scenes in the middle. I, I do feel like there's just a little too much John Connor in that movie, S- especially the sequence where, um, where like you know they've captured. If if the movie were as simple as he meets Kyle Reese, they're traveling around some. They get captured by, you know, Kyle Reese gets captured by the robots. He gets captured by the humans. He has to break out of there, you know. Mm. He meets John Connor. John Connor's a dick to him, and he has to escape out of there and go save Kyle Reese. And so John Connor's hardly in the movie at all. I think the movie would be the best Terminator movie. Mm. Um, I, I, I think that, like, the themes they're playing with and those all those ideas and, and how it fits into the story is so cool. Um, but... Yeah, some of that stuff that like like the whole thing about them learning how to turn off machines and that kind of yeah. stuff. It just feels like a distraction. Um and that scene where uh he sort of goes back and saves John Connor and John Connor doesn't shoot him and he's like, "What are you?" and he's like, "I don't know." Like it just seems meh. Yeah, see that's uh, but the lapses in um logic that I have problems with. Yeah. Um I mean, so if you're if you're the Skynet and you're trying to stop the future, and they know they have Kyle Reese. Why don't they just kill him? Yeah, 
you know, they're going to keep him there so they can lure exactly, John Connor. Exactly. But if they kill Kyle Reese, then doesn't John Connor cease to exist? Yeah. So there's those. Why are, do they? Why do they know what John like? Because they don't need just because they're a machine doesn't mean that they necessarily need to know who everyone in the system is. Like yeah. Kyle Reese, presumably has been like he might have been born in that world, mm-hmm. um, or at least not have existed very long. They're not going to know what he looks like. Yeah. Um, or have his DNA on file necessarily. But you um, know, I, but I forgive it because you're right. The action in it's really cool. Yeah. Um, there's some parts that I, I mean, I really enjoy. I actually like that they give Skynet kind of a. A voice, yeah. How they, you know, they used Marcus and stuff. I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's some themes there that work really well yeah. with the movie. And I I like the progression of of Sam Worthington's character. I just would have liked it more if at the end they ripped all of uh, Christian Bale's skin off and put it onto a Terminator, and that was the end of the movie. Again, you know, I get distracted sometimes with Sam Worthington because there's he's really good as an American accent, except for certain words. Yeah. He says like transporter. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, dude. <laughs> just a transporter. Oh, uh, yeah. But you and your guys taking me up on that transporter. Like, oh, <laughs> dude. In and out, in and out. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. man, the whole car chase sequence is great. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, really he, great. He's pretty good at Mick the movie, G's. Though. Yeah, Mick G is... Oh, man. It's really too bad. He is underappreciated. Probably because his name is Mick G. That's what I said. If he went by his real name, I bet he'd be I like... His name's like Joe something. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, come yeah. On, dude. It's like John McTeary. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Anyway, well, cool. Much. Um. So the uh the next season of Sherlock or the third season of Sherlock ended. Um, I watched it. Uh, the second episode is really great. It's That's an episode where um, basically Watson's getting married and Sherlock solves a mystery at the wedding. Um, and it's just really fun. It's lighthearted. It's it's a it's a mystery just in that episode. Yeah, I heard it bucks a trend of the previous seasons where the second episode was really bad. Oh, totally. Um. So the opposite here is that unfortunately the first episode is way too bogged down in all the Moriarty bullshit that they did in the third in mm-hmm. the second season, and so the the first episode is is not horrible, but it's not great. <laughs> uh, and then the third episode starts off great, and then they have like this reveal because they want to have something epic happen, and they just sort of waste some time on it. And some of the ideas are cool, but it, um, and and where it ends, like what they do at the end, where where Sherlock ends up at the end of that season is really cool. Uh, I'll tell you once we're off the air, because when I tell you, you'll be like, oh, that's a neat idea. I like I like that. Um, but unfortunately, it's all tied into this thing with, with Watson and his wife, and, and what they do with that, I think, is shitty. But the actual story of like who the villain is and then how Sherlock defeats that villain is very non-traditional for Sherlock, but a really, really cool story. Um, I still don't love that show. Basically, it makes me really want to watch Elementary, because I hear great <laughs> things about Elementary. Um uh, I also I went to Tradesmart. Nice. That's how I got Terminator Salvation, nice. and I also bought T three on Blu-ray. Nice. Um, and they had a copy of Monsters Inc. that I I got, uh, and it was used, and it was expensive. So I needed to find something else that was expensive so that I could get that for a dollar. And I I combed through there for a while looking for something that I wanted, but a lot of the stuff that was expensive that I that they had uh, had used I already had. Um, so I ended up settling on a, uh, a really cool collector's edition with the extended version of Avatar. All right. <laughs> so I bought Avatar for a dollar. Um, and as I was like, I bought it and I was like, I'm actually kind of interested to see this again. I haven't seen it since theaters. Um, so I wanted to check it out and I still stand by it. I think that movie's fun. Like it's, 
it's about as subtle as a two by four to the face. Um, and it is the most derivative thing. I understand, and I am right along with everyone else who is pissed off that that movie is the number one movie of all time, and it is the most derivative thing on the planet. Um, but I think it's really fun. I think the action scenes are cool. Like if you, as as like a geeky fanboy, you know, at some level that movie is like spaceships versus dragons and that's really cool um i think a lot of the sci-fi stuff even though it's derivative we don't unfortunately get to see a lot of it often enough you know the whole thing of like the planet all being you know the the idea of the planet all being like one big network is this really unsettled stupid you know gaia bullshit um but it's also the same kind of really cool like symbiotic life relationships that you see in speaker for the dead, which is the sequel to, um, Ender's game. Um, that is one of the things that just blew me away about that book. Um, maybe a little bit spoilerish, but whatever. Um, yeah, so there's just really neat ideas. And I think, uh, especially the director's cut, the shame is he cut all of the character development out. So there's Mm. in, in the collector's edition, there's 16 minutes and the things he cut out are, the opening sequence where you actually get to know who Jake Sully is and how he ends up on this thing, and it sort of sets up his his actual arc, not just this, like, I'm a military guy, but I'm going <laughs> to learn to be native. Like, no, it, you know, <laughs> you, you see some of him on Earth. You see, A, some stuff on Earth um, and what Earth looks like, and you also see, like, who he really is and and this moment where these guys come to him and are like, look, your brother died. Genetically, you can also connect with this, like, weird alien thing we built and it's expensive so we're going to ask you to do it um and because he's got nothing else going on and he is sort of pathetic he agrees to do it and so watching that growth watching the growth of a man who is is sort of broken and doesn't really have anything in his life and finds something to live for that actually is really cool but he cut it out <laughs> uh and there's also some stuff about like why natiri who, if you remember that movie, is the the lady blue cat, um, like why she is so pissed off and so, you know some of her history stuff. So it's really a shame. Like <laughs> he cut Honestly, out the shit. I don't that's... remember hardly anything about that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes to a planet. The the blue people. Yeah. Um, and I I also still think that the bad the bad guy at the end where like, you know, the ship's blowing up and he's on fire, so he jumps into a robot suit and jumps out of the air, the thing. And mm-hmm. I think the, there's the villain in that movie is still pretty badass. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a silly thing. And like, man, oh, oh, and man, James Horner's score for that movie is fucking horrible. I don't, I, I, I don't remember. No, no, I know, I know, I know. I just want to throw this out there. <laughs> All he's doing is stealing. I think he thinks that no one appreciated his score from the mask of Zorro, which I did. <laughs> I owned it. Um, and so he just stole it. It's literally his, that's the same score, but with like some, you know, native singers over the top. And it's, oh man. Um, but still fun. It was worth the dollar for sure. And I should show you what the case looks like. It's a really cool Blu-ray case. I want more Blu-rays in that case. Um, and then the very last thing, um, I've been doing this thing where I watch, I'm watching through movies that are on my list of shame. Uh, and this is one that I, I was actually really excited about. It's another Steven Spielberg movie I'd never seen. Um, and I, so I ordered the Blu-ray of the color purple. Hmm. And this week, I got a chance to see it. Um, the Color Purple tells the story of uh, a young black woman post-slavery who... Um, well, actually, not even post-slavery. It's like... Uh, shoot, maybe I don't know. 
I don't remember. Hey, I've seen it once. I don't remember anything about it. Oh, no. Uh, it. Turn, turn of the it. Century. So it's like 1908 to 1932 or something like that. And it jumps forward in time. And basically, she gets separated from her sister and... Um, and then it tells the story of like her relationship with her husband and how horrible and abusive that is. And she has to um, basically through the relationships with different women that she meets throughout her life, learn to stand up for herself and eventually pull herself out oh, of that right. relationship. I haven't seen it in years. It's it's great. Yeah. It's really, really great. Um it's like one of those movies uh, I should probably see again because you know it is a good movie. Oh yeah. And when you're younger you don't appreciate it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly it's kinda of what's been fun about this thing is if I had watched some of this stuff when like in my in my teens when I was you know, really educating myself on film, mm-hmm. uh I'd i yeah, I definitely wouldn't have appreciated it. The same same thing is true for like Steel Magnolias. You know, mm-hmm. I saw Steel Magnolias for the first time a couple of years ago and if I'd watched that when I was sixteen, I'd be like, What is this woman bullshit? <laughs> um but the truth is now I, I really love Steel Magnolias and and this is the same way. Um Whoopi Goldberg is fantastic. Mm-hmm. She's just absolutely fantastic and, and can turn from being, you know, she can do both the the sort of fun scenes where you see that character, which, man, I I can't believe Seely Seely is her name. Um, you you see that character really, uh, you see, get just a little bit of joy, you know, she, and and it and it makes. I think she won an Academy Award for that, didn't she? I believe so. Um, I know that uh, Oprah Winfrey did. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe she didn't then. Yeah, well, Oprah, Oprah would have been for supporting. Yeah. Actors. Um. But uh, you know she can do those little sort of fun scenes that bring some levity to this movie that is really serious and dark uh, at times, and then she can also play that very introverted version on, or character um, and make them all feel cohesive, make it all feel mm-hmm. like one person. Um, it's just it's really great, um, man, and gorgeous, really gorgeous. Of course, you know, of course it is Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, right? <laughs> like. Um, but it is one I'm really glad that I've gotten a chance to see it now, because um, it's it's a special kind of movie. Yep. Um, and yeah, I would put it in that same category. It's like a a Steel Magnolias, um, but probably no, definitely better. Um, but yeah, I I loved it. It's fantastic. So people should check that movie out. If you haven't seen The Color Purple, you should also put that <laughs> on your list and and make sure you you check it off a lot quicker than I did. <laughs> so that's it. That's it. Uh, I think we have a couple things on Real News. Yeah, yeah, not much. It's Real News! What we got? Um, first thing is, uh, Kevin Smith's Tusk got picked up. So in the autumn of this year, we're going to get that actually out like a wide release. He's not doing the thing like he did with hmm. Red State where he's going to tour it around. That even seems um, weirder than Red State. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't know how successful those tours have been, uh, and he he may not necessarily have time. If he's gearing up to do another, to do Hit Somebody and Clerks 2, remember when he was well, retiring? He, well, yeah, he wrote <laughs> a script that he's already Yeah, and then he, there's Some another holiday script. anthology, horror yeah, anthology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then there's another script that he's done as well. So, like, I imagine he's also just kind of busy. Mm-hmm. And so when it came down to, well, I could just release this movie, he yeah. probably just said yes. Um, and it may be because it was in, like, uh, Sundance or something like that. Anyway. Um, and then the only other thing I have flagged, I'm sure I'm missing something. I, I'm sure I am, but um, Marvel's Agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D. is 
got a couple things going on. Um, they're going to tie in. We haven't talked about that. Right? They're going to tie in with Captain America, of course. Um, Stan Lee is going to be on in the next couple nice. episodes. Uh, in fact, I think it's this Tuesday. Hmm. Uh, or this, yeah, yeah, it airs on Tuesday. Face from um, True Believers. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, but then also they're going to bring uh, Deathlock and Lorelai on, which are not characters I know. Do you know Deathlock and Lorelai? Uh, I don't know their origins. I know Deathlock is from the future and he's a cyborg. Okay. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I'm not that well versed in those kind of characters. Yeah, Even yeah. though I'm a Marvel guy. Right. I mean, I could pick them out, out of a lineup with their pictures. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the the Deathlock kind of makes sense because they've they've had all these characters in there who are um, there's there's been a lot of cybernetic stuff in the season so far where like there are these characters who are being forced to work for the bad guys and kill people because basically they have like this computer chip in their head um, and they're getting mm-hmm. they're getting commands like in their eyes telling them like, Hey, you need to go to this place and kill these people and they have to do it. Otherwise like the thing will pop in their brain and they'll die. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but nobody else can like track the, nobody else sees the signal. Um, so that makes sense that there's some cybernetic dude in there. Um, I don't know who Lorelai is, but I, my complaint with the show so far, has, uh, like I like the show, but, um, my complaint so far has simply been that I don't feel like it is enough Marvel, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like other than, um, shit, what's his name? Colson. Colson. Wow. I've been the worst today. Um, other than Colson, it doesn't feel that tied in with the rest of Marvel. Mm. Um, so it's kind of cool to know that they're going to start getting that stuff in there. Tony Stark appearance at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, (laughs) well, no, it's more that I want, I want the villain and they haven't really revealed who the villain is. They keep leading us on. I want whoever that villain is to really be a Marvel villain. Mm. You know, um, even if it were like Hydra or, you know, something like that. And every now and then they'll talk about Hydra or something like that. Um, uh, but they never... the Red Skull. Sure. Yeah, dude, exactly. Something like that where it really feels like, oh, cool. Now it's normal people without superpowers fighting superpowered villains or even not superpowered villains, but just somebody from Marvel um, just to tie it all in a little mm-hmm. bit more. And I think that's coming. I think they just want it to stand on its own legs first, so... That's it. Cool. Yep, mellow week. Yeah. It's uh, January. Yeah, this week we went and saw I Frankenstein. James, should people go see I Frankenstein? I loved it. It was great. No, this thing is fucking horrible. Um, <laughs> it's honestly one of the worst movies I've sat through in a while. Um, so, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if it's super horrible. It's not good. But... For as much action in it, I was really bored. Oh, yeah. I was bored to tears. Um, but here's like a trailer where you're like, oh, this could be cool. You should... Um, we're hardly going to be able to spoil this movie, so just listen to the whole inter- like review. Frankenstein. The rumors are true. I was given life 200 years ago. I am like none other. You have strength and speed and stamina, far beyond that of any human. You could use those gifts 
in a war that you are already a part of. I go my own way. You cannot save the human race. Nothing can stop their demise. Come with me. There's an entire army of monsters like me. Tens of thousands of them. So the movie is Frankenstein's monster. It it kind of starts as, as as Frankenstein. He yeah. He gets out. He kills his wife, and then Frankenstein chases him, and Frankenstein dies in um, freezing. And his monster decides to bury him, and then he's attacked by monsters or demons that look like they're from Angel. The TV We're, worse than that, they look like season one Buffy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then I guess if they're hit with a certain relic they are like a certain symbol that they go to hell yeah literally um and frankenstein's monster is being recruited for this and he doesn't want anything to do with it by the angels no 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 the the gargoyles dude and see that's what sucks too is because the trailer sets it up that he's gonna be fighting gargoyles yeah to be like oh badass you get this you know frankenstein's monster is gonna fight gargoyles and for some fucking punch reason. their heads and they're gonna yeah whatever break into stone yeah exactly um here's a problem with this movie where hansel and gretel is fun and they acknowledge what kind of movie it is yeah this movie says we're gonna make this really serious and have oh yeah really hammy dialogue delivered with scene tunery great by bill nighy and he has like these pauses oh, and it, it's man. he's totally phoning it in yeah but like yeah, i i knew I knew I was in trouble when the the opening shots are just these like, they're just shots of the stars and like the aurora borealis. It was beautiful. And dude. there's like, it, it was bad CG is what it was. Uh, but then there's like this epic music playing over the top, like we are bringing you something you are not prepared <laughs> yeah. for this. And I was like, Always oh that, my uh, gosh, epic music with the the choir in the back on. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> That kind of stuff where I was like, oh, no. But then when they started the Frankenstein story, I was like, all right, oh, okay, yeah. all right. Um, and I'll admit, like, I think that their their premise here is really cool and could have made for something yeah. really neat. Because basically this, the ar- argument is, like, because Frankenstein is a a man bringing something to life on his own through science, that that is in some way upsetting to 
God and the angels and a war between angels and demons. Um, so like that idea no, it's is cool. cool yeah. You know, and if this movie were city of angels slapped up against Constantine, this movie would be great. Hey James, but did you want to know what this movie is really about? Well, I'm going to, we're going to play a scene from I hope, Frankenstein. I hope there's some heavy stilted exposition. There is. It. Cause you'll also ha- hear some Jay Courtney talking about, Oh good. I love Jay Courtney. How he needs to get rid of, Adam? I forget, but here's a scene from I Frankenstein. Niberius has found a way to summon every demon you've ever descended. What? Possession. In bodies that have no souls. Only the dead have no souls. What is the use of possessing a corpse? There is none. Unless you can animate that corpse. Niberius has been planning this for centuries. Victor Frankenstein just made it possible. So does it make more sense now? <laughs> Fuck no. Um, Dude, this is one of those movies where, uh, Steve, uh, the waiter at the Alamo, I told him afterwards, I was like, this is one of those movies where you, the the characters for the first half of the movie, every line of dialogue they have, they say the name of the person they're talking yeah. to so that you remember because there's so many different characters and it's all just nonsense mm-hmm. and they're like it is so much exposition. Yep. They spend so much time and setting it, up this world. It's one of those movies too where it, it falls into the exposition, fight scene, exposition, fight scene, yeah. exposition, fight scene. Yeah. Um, and none of the exposition is actually character development. No, it's So I realized like Later on in the movie, when he meets uh, Ivan Strasky or however you pronounce her name, I, I've never heard her say it, so I've, I've never figured it out. Um, but uh, when he meets her, all of a sudden they're like, oh, he's... Oh, no, it's actually near the end where they're like, man, every time they would say Gargoyle Queen, I wanted to throw up. <laughs> where the Gargoyle Queen, um, played by the horribly unappreciated Miranda Otto, um, is is telling him, like, oh, you know, you you finally found what you what you needed, you know, which was like something to fight for, something to live for, some bullshit like that. Um, and it was supposed to be like, oh, well, you found a woman. <laughs> Not even like, there's no reason why he likes this person. It's just she is a woman. Yeah. Um, and what's a bummer, too, is uh, some of the gargoyle effects are really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of, and it, even like when the demons would die and like the oh, fire would go into the ground, oh, yeah. you were like, oh, that's neat. Well, yeah, that first scene where... Uh, when he's fighting him in the graveyard? Fighting in the graveyard and... Um, and then the next time he's in the courtyard with all the gargoyles and stuff and they're flying everywhere mm. and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but if it were in a movie, even as coherent as Val Hel- Van Helsing, yeah. you'd be like, oh, okay, cool. But then you get like the gargoyle queen's gargoyle that looks oh, really looks horrible. Yeah. Because she's this like marble color that just makes her well, stand out. All the transitions are really bad. Like anytime, yeah. anytime somebody's face turns into something, it's like, it really is. It's like Buffy. Mm-hmm. effects yeah no, it is. and i love buffy but the effects are not why yeah. i watch that well, show it's um, it, you're right it's like buffy season one yeah where they have i don't the know the prosthetics are for sure yeah the couple thousand dollars per episode yeah not uh um, and not a movie that has 20 years of you know yeah yeah that was made in 1997 yeah <laughs> you know jurassic park had only been around for four years exactly you know so um it's, it's pretty embarrassing it was, i mean it I think there's a part of me that wants to give them credit for wanting to do practical demons, but a they probably only had the budget for practical demons, even though there's a lot of CG in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's like wide shots of like 
people running through courtyards yeah. in front of churches, and this it's a CG person. Yeah, it's so. Weird. Um, and it looks like a C- it looks like a stick figure, mm-hmm. you know, like just oh, no, poorly yeah. animated. Um, and two, it's hard. Um, and it, this is it's not Aaron Eckhart's fault, but like his character, why do you care about him? No, you don't. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, he's cool and he can fight. Hell, what is his motivation in any scene? None. Like I don't know why he is anywhere. Like I know why other characters want him in places. But I don't know what he's trying to do or what he wants to accomplish ever, or why I'm rooting for him or where, how I want him to grow or change. Like, no, there's nothing going on, nope. which is a shame because, like I said, I think the, the themes that they're playing with could be really cool. I think that any the, – the, the premise of the movie is really smart. Any writer worth his salt could turn this into something at least palatable and interesting – and instead, it's just bogged down by like, dude, I, I knew we were in trouble like five minutes in when they were, they had gotten him to the Gargoyle Castle and they're trying to ex- just explain all this shit. Yeah. Every line of dialogue was just like completely um, disem- uh, disconnected from it's every other line of dialogue. Saying, oh, we need to tell you this or you're not going to understand this movie at all. Oh, yeah, and we also need this scene to end with you going and getting some weapons. So the next yeah. character is going to say, well, we're going to go get you some weapons. And then that character is going to tell you, like, oh, you don't want to use those weapons. They're heavy. I don't know why we have them because I just <laughs> told you you don't want to use those. Oh, but then you swing them around. Oh, you're you're really strong. That's it. Like... That's ex- that's what the scenes are, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and they got like, uh, can you explain to me why? Okay, there's demons, yep. and they go to hell, mm-hmm. and then, and then there's they're not angels, they're gargoyles, and they they don't they like they talk about crucifixes, but they don't like they don't carve crosses into stuff. They carve like this cross with some other lines on it into stuff. And that that kills the de- like why, why did they just mess with stuff? Why wasn't it just angels versus demons or because gargoyles is cooler? Well, then they, gargoyles then they are still, the angels. They could still like say, oh well, when they turn in, they're you know they when they tur- they can turn into gargoyles or whatever. But why is it not crucifixes? Why are they like <laughs> this weird subsect? Why I don't I just don't understand why they did some of that stuff and then they feel like they have to explain it all mm. why did we need to know that when they die they drop a weird flag dog tag and then they have <laughs> a wall of of dog tag flags <laughs> a wall of <laughs> a hall of heroes i don't know yeah exactly it's shit like that where i'm like we don't need this or the, you know the the one girl her her friend died and then, yeah and then adam or frankenstein's mother says I can save you. No, I want to be with him. This way in heaven, I can fuck him? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. And they go into this thing what? where, like, it wasn't allowed down here, but it'll be allowed in, up there or whatever. And I was like, why do we give a shit? So you're like, why do I need to know about, like, the rules of mating inside the gargoyle cult? <laughs> like, what the f- How does hey, that have hey, anything to do? You guys can't fuck down here, but when you get to heaven, yeah, yeah. You can fuck it'll like be, I mean, except they're angels, so, like, who knows if you even have, like, why are there even dudes and ladies? I guess they just I rub know. against each other. I, I <laughs> it's like Barbie dolls. Uh, the movie's well shot. Um, Is it? I, I, feel, I felt like cool. it was, I think it looks cool. I think it's shot by somebody who's only ever seen movie trailers and never a whole movie. 
Like there's a there's a lot of like low angles of Aaron Eckhart walking somewhere and big CG I guess f- shiny the only stuff thing that behind was annoying him. Is lots of slow motion. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of times when you know he'd be walking towards the camera, you could tell his green screen behind him. Oh yeah. Like, dude, why don't you just shoot in a fucking alley? Yeah, it's it like um, no actual, not a lot of action scenes, just a lot of hero shots mm-hmm. when it comes to him. Like, there's lots of action scenes with the gargoyles. Where they're like flying around, smacking things that burst into flames. Um, but as far as Frankenstein scenes, like he's really not cool. Mm-mm. He really doesn't do anything interesting. Um, he does take off his shirt. He does take off his shirt. Um, yeah. Well, here's a question. Okay, <laughs> this is one of those little like touches that they did that I just thought was hilarious. So. Um, the woman, you know, she's a scientist and she's trying to replicate the Frankenstein thing, right? So she's got this rat and it's suspended and all this crazy, like, you know, she's got all this technology going on. And then later we find out, like, that she couldn't figure out how how uh, um, electric eels work. But whatever. Um, <laughs> so she's got this little, like, test rat that's dead and she wants to bring it back to life. And it's got, like... It's got the Frankenstein scars all over it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's got... It's been cut up in a way... Not like down... Not like they split its sternum or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just like a yep. weird Y shape on its chest and really poorly sewn together like Frankenstein. <laughs> and they're like, they're why scientists. did you... They have time for that stuff. Why, why did you even have to cut or, it open? This is how... There's a problem, too, I had at the with the ending. Is so, they, she, she says, you can kill me, I don't care. And he says, "Really?" So she kill. He kills her friend. She says, "Okay, I'll do it for you." Yeah, to bring her friend back to life. I'm like, fuck you, dude. I don't don't care. You didn't yeah. kill me. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And then, but I love that scene with the rat because then, like, those two scientists are yelling at each other, and she's like, "Turn up the power!" And he's like, "It'll kill it." And she's <laughs> like, "It's already dead." <laughs> and, like, and then the whole time you're like, "It's a rat." <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, "Are you fucking kidding?" Like, this is a scene. You wrote that someone wrote this. I can't believe I'm so disappointed in a movie in January. I know, I know, right? I wanted to have fun and it was I was just yeah. bored. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um it just it's a movie that totally gets in its own way. Mm. And yeah, Bill Nye is sort of phoning it in. Uh Miranda Otta is way better than what she is in this movie. Um and what the hell is wrong with Aaron Eckhart? Why did he sign up for this? I don't know. Who lost a bet? Um I'm gonna go ahead and play the uh jason statham card i'm sure he got paid a lot of money to do it probably <laughs> yeah um i, I think it, know if you went a while. i think it says a lot about this movie that it is written by the same guy who directed it and then story by that guy and the guy who wrote the comic book the guy who wrote the comic book is the guy who also wrote underworld he's that big black guy Oh, is that? Who yeah. he, I was gonna bring that up because that big black guy is horrible. Yeah, he's not good in this one, but he was no, good no. in Underworld. He's good in Underworld, yeah. Uh, but in this one, like he just totally drops some lines. Mm-hmm. Of course, this movie is also bad. Um, yep. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, man, it's it's just. And he's put on a lot of weight too. I remember in Underworld, like he ripped off his shirt. Oh, yeah. He was totally ripped and everything. Totally. Yeah. This yeah. one is not as much. Yeah. Well, oh well. Maybe next year. Huh, Maybe next yeah. year, I werewolf. It does. It does totally make me. Oh my gosh! The fact that the last line of the movie is "I Frankenstein." Oh my goodness! 
Uh, that was that was the kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of neat because it makes me like Hansel and Gretel more because it's like it's like black and white. You know, like Hansel and Gretel is a movie that knows what it is and it's being fun on purpose. And this is a movie that thinks it's serious and awesome. Um, and it's just it's just <laughs> it does not. Neither. Oh man. Ugh. Cool. What do we see next week? I think next week's Labor Day, isn't it? Is it Labor Day or is it? I think so. That awkward moment, one of those ones. Um, oh yeah, we could also see the uh, the awkward moment. Um, I, I think, think Labor I think Day. I think you're right. It's it's Jason Reitman, and yeah. even if the reviews not so far have not been like, oh, it's up in the air, good. Um, but I I love Jason Reitman. Um, so I think that would be my vote. Even though I do want to see the awkward moment. Um, oh the oh no yeah that's. That's not rating. That's um, like popularity on I- on IMDb. This is this is really interesting podcasting. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. January thirty first is Labor Day. Okay. Um, we will be seeing Labor Day. Unless unless we go see the awkward moment. That may not be a wide release either. I'm not sure. Either way, we'll be seeing a movie. We'll yeah, be yeah. podcasting it to you. It'll be good. Thanks for listening. Until next week, bye. Bye. Visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com. You can tweet us at real underscore nerds. You can email us even, realnerds at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Hey, stream us on Stitcher. You want to call us? 720-6nerds5. And download us on iTunes. Just search Real Nerds. Thank you, Joe Kempter, for the wonderful voiceover. And also, Spark Mandrill for the wonderful late-night jazz-smooth sounds of movies. You can find them on SoundCloud. This has been a Nebulous Visions production.